0: Hey, y'all, you're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile.
1: I'm Spung Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to another edition of Ride Around, the episodes where we get a view of a particular locality from one person's perspective. This time we're in the city of Evansville, Indiana, and our guide is none other than my dad. You'll have to give us some grace for the quality on this one, because even though it took several months before all the stars could align for us to get together alone, the skies were not with the program. It rained, and hard at that. All the same, we started our hang outside of a restaurant in a strip mall along Lloyd Expressway called the Chopstick House. One night some years ago, Dad, Mom, and my sister Stacy went to eat there, and they ran into a, a friend and coworker of my dad's that we'll call Harry. So talk about Harry, kind of describe him as a person.
0: Well, Harry, you know, uh, have you seen a picture with three owls sitting on a tree limb, and one of them's upside down? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Harry. <laughs> He's the upside-down one? <laughs> he's the upside-down one. And he knew it. <laughs> Harry is a good guy, a good Christian guy, and he meant well, but he's kind of hard-headed, set in his ways. Uh, his father was an alcoholic. His mother was a good Christian lady, but she was dying of cancer at one point. And his dad, I think, was out drunk, maybe living with another woman, and he basically had to take care of his dying mother. But while he was in the Air Force, he was stationed in, uh, up in Canada... What's the
1: Nova Scotia. Yeah. Nova
0: Scotia. I don't know the circumstances of him meeting his wife, except she was in the Salvation Army, which is a little bit different than the Independent Baptist, I think. But he met this lady and uh, they eventually got married. Harry was, I guess we like to play pranks on each other every now and then. And I think it was a Sunday afternoon after church we came here to eat. I think we were eating, either they were already there or Harry came in later sitting at a table with a bunch of church folks, it looked like. And so, uh, of course, we greeted each other and went all about our meal. And we're sitting there at the table, and we start discussing some way to play a prank on Harry. I said, well, if I had a piece of toilet paper, I think I'd, I'd go over and talk to him, pat him on the back, and stick a piece of toilet paper on his back, you know. <laughs> and, you know, just harmless, just thinking that someone would eventually say, hey, there's some toilet paper on your back and that will do the end of it you know (laughs) well Stacy actually jumped in on it says hey I'll run to the bathroom and get some toilet paper and she did and she came back and I think mom happened to have some scotch tape in her purse (laughs) just worked out that good so I go put a piece of scotch tape on the about a four foot long of toilet paper got it fixed and I will Harry had his jacket kind of back on the the chair there so it wasn't on so it was easy for me to stamp it on there and uh him not know it he didn't feel it but i figured well it's a good chance he'd see it and that'd be ha 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 and that'd be the end of it well it didn't turn out that way <laughs> they was getting ready to leave and the church group they had had a bunch of little small kids and you know they were restless well as the uh, older people were standing up and putting on their coats and saying their goodbyes and packing up their food the kids kind of got loose running around and they ran up to the front of the store where the coat rack was, and they started hanging around. They might have been trying to get their coat off—I don't know—but they was kind of like climbing on the side of it or something. And eventually, they pulled it down on the floor. Well, Harry's wife saw it, and she had a little bit of an accent. And uh, he takes off running to help him out, you know. Well, he's got his coat on by this time, and the tall papers flapping in the breeze, running to the restaurant. <laughs> and he gets about halfway through the restaurant, his wife sees it, and she's. Heavy, heavy! There's something on your back. Well, then everybody in the restaurant looks at him. That's about the end of it. We had it turned out better than what we thought, but he was really offended by that. I mean, <laughs> he didn't see the humor in it. Uh, no, no, he did not. Now I don't know if we can laugh about it now or not. I, I'd let him bring it up. I wouldn't bring it up. But it just well, all those things that sounded simple—just a little bit of toilet paper, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he never stopped talking to me or anything like that at work, but he may have been offended, you know. <laughs> he was one of those guys, uh, if he was pranking around and acting silly, it was okay, but do something on him and he really took it hard. Anyway, it's just funny how down through life several things that seemed to be harmless, starting out as harmless turned into a big fiasco, you know. <laughs> Rollin' high back to my and you, oh your
1: say Okay, so we're out on division, which runs alongside Lloyd Expressway. You know, I've always kind of hunted
0: for used stereo or electronic equipment. I don't know if I've any electronic equipment news. That's sad, you know. New, brand new. One day I saw this ad in the paper where they listed some speakers and some amplifiers and whatnot. So I called the number. Well, it was a goofy thing. I don't know if it had a recording or not, but the guy was very shielded, I think, you know. just You didn't know if you left a message on a good place. It was unidentified, but you left a message, and eventually he'd call back. Or sometimes he'd pick up on the phone, but that's the way he operated. Anyway, he ended up being a guy named Sam Wary. And it turned out he and somebody else had been partners in a, in a relatively successful TV uh, radio repair shop, you know, back in the day when that was all good. And I think it was a a rather sizable business. And so he had the ear and the the know-how about equipment, but he would basically go around to, I guess he'd follow yard sales a lot or somehow source. And he'd pick up these things for a little bit of nothing and try them out and then resell them. And it turned out being a real good source for me because I always wanted something a little inexpensive. And he always seemed to have something in there. Just had, you remember his room. It was just chock full of cords and headphones and adapters and, back then, cassette tape things, old records and a lot of gear and stuff he'd picked up and he'd sell them at a decent price. Well, right off the bat, Sam was uh, what I would call a conspiracist, conspiracy guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Everything you would say, he had a different spin on it. You know, if you say anything about the government, if you say anything about religion, you know, and it was always way out there. He just could he was so
1: non-mainstream, it was pitiful. Well— he could, He's hard to even be around, even. He believed in that stuff so much that he had a Xerox machine just to photocopy his conspiracy theories, if you remember.
0: Right. He took it on his ministry that uh, he would—you're right, he would copy these tracks, I <laughs> used to call them— uh-huh. I took home several pamphlets. When I yeah, you <laughs> just really polite and take them. And he uh, got into copying VHS tapes. I mean, he just made them by the bucket loads full. And he'd give you one, but you had to promise to pass it on to somebody else. And it was—I uh, think he was connected with somebody down in Kentucky that was um, what would you call a creationist mm-hmm. extreme, you know. And I don't think he had any friends. I don't think anybody could hardly stand him too long. I don't think his family could be around him because he was just. He couldn't keep his mouth shut about his beliefs, you know, It just just wear you down all the time. Sam was a good old guy. You know, once he learned who you were and trusted you, he let you in this house and you could see his gear and all that. But uh, one of the funny things there was he lived in an older house there. Right below the steps where the steps met up to the sidewalk, there was an offset there for some reason. I guess the ground had settled. And he had painted that thing with yellow or orange paint or something. Because I guess different people tripped on it. Well, once we kinda got the feel of it, every time we come up there we'd push the button, ring the bell, and we were of course standing on the other side of that line and when he opened the door let us in, we'd always trip. On purpose. On purpose. <laughs> and he looked down there at that paint and said, Well, I guess I need to repaint that again, you know. And we wouldn't say anything, you know, we just But every time you came and back, it had more every paint. It had more paint on it, you know. <laughs> And the next we tripped every time we went there. And he never, <laughs> never did catch on to what we were doing. You told me about his stereo that- Oh my, he had a, the old console stereo. That was his. He that went, was, it was his. Not for sale. And it was probably top of the line in his day. It wasn't for sale, it was in his living room. There was a pair of headphones there. I was interested in buying it. Most of his equipment was sitting there on a shelf or stacked up, you know, it wasn't ready to use. And so I wanted to hear these headphones. And I asked him, I knew it had a stereo there. I said, can I plug it in? And he agreed. I noticed when I plugged it in, or he may have even plugged it in for me, that all the knobs had little marks with a mark a sharpie or something, or a piece of tape or something. Every knob on that thing had a mark where he wanted it. Well the the headphones wasn't loud enough or something, and I went to turn the volume up or something. And it's like I killed his mother. He <laughs> winced and oh he went into a depression. <laughs> That I touched the knob on his stereo. I mean, he was that, what's the word? Anal. <laughs> Anal about it. And uh, you know, it was marked, I could put it back to where it was, and it wasn't like I went and re the thing. I just <laughs> turned the volume, but oh, it just really upset him, <laughs> really did. But at one time he had a friend, uh, that they would go together to revivals I think Baptist revivals and I bet they about wore those people out you know it seemed like he moved around he'd probably go to a church for a
1: while and eventually would wear out his welcome with his mm-hmm. odd ideas but uh, well I remember one time you took me I noticed in the room there there's like a little trampoline and I said uh, hey Sam why is there a trampoline in your house? And you were behind him and you shook your head, like, oh man, you're in front he hit, now. He winced again. <laughs> we'll explain why it was not a trampoline and Oh, it's
0: not a trampoline, yeah. It's a rebounder. Then we got more literature. <laughs> so then you got a little paper on the propaganda of this rebounder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how all the diseases it cured just by bouncing on this thing so many times a day or whatever. It had a whole list of things you could do with it. Mm-hmm. And it even had a section, if you were crippled and in a wheelchair, you could just bring your wheelchair up to this rebounder slash trampoline, trampoline <laughs> and just rest your feet on the edge of it and have your buddy jumping up and down. and It would help heal your ailments, you know. He was serious about that thing. Things like that, you know, kind of stay with us and we make it a lifetime joke, you know. <laughs> You know, so anytime we see anything like these little child trampolines they make for kids, you know, we, oh, that's a rebounder. That's not a no little trampoline. Right. I think one time I couldn't get a hold of him for a while, to, and then eventually I did, and he said he'd been sick. Well, I came in to look at some equipment, and I said, oh, what kind of sickness? He said, well, I have cancer of the uh, prostate. Mm-hmm. Prostate, I get those words mixed up. Yeah. I said, oh, really? And you going to have surgery? No, 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 I'm on a... Uh, there's a way to take care of that where you have your prostate milked. Mm. And I said, what? And I tried not to show too much interest, but I said, I don't know what that is. He said, yeah, well, i try to get the doctors around here. They won't do it. But I found the doctor in Illinois. He'll milk my prostate. <laughs> you know, I wanted, I was really curious about what that meant. But uh, I didn't want to... You're you afraid was going to give you a pamphlet? He may have gave me one. But... Uh, I'm surprised he even brought it up because he's very conservative, you yeah. know, very uh, morally clean and all. And, and I guess probably if I'd asked him what milk in your prostate would have been, he'd probably told me, you know. Of course, we asked
1: some medical people we knew and they yeah. n- never heard of it. We asked your sister. Yeah, she had never heard of it. No, but she it. found out it Oh, was, she did? Yeah, she said it was an old belief. They used to think it worked, like massaging uh-huh. it or something. Man. There's the only one way you can massage that thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's through an orphanage that... <laughs> oh, man. But Sam Ware, you know. One day he had five-gallon buckets sitting around, maybe a little water in them, a bunch of these plants sticking out. And I said, what's that? Oh, that's some kind of herb he had. And I, he showed me out in the backyard. He had all these... He was raising... I never heard of what it was, but he was raising things and selling them and giving them to people, you know. People huh. just love those things. And while I was there, his, a daughter came in, and she was a little people. hmm and she come in, and he gave her a bucket of whatever it was, you know, and she took it, you know. Well, one day I was driving by, and I saw a yard sale out in the front of his... And I thought, oh, Sam's getting rid of a bunch of stuff. So I, you know, pulled in stopped, and I recognized his daughter, you know, she's a little midget. I said, well, how's Sam's doing? Oh, Sam's been dead! And she was really braggadocious about it. He was dead, and she was kind of glad of it, I thought. <laughs>
1: You know, it was really odd,
0: really odd, you know. Of course, maybe he had wore her down, too, because he is the kind of guy that you, you know, you might want to party with, but you don't want to be around him very long because he'd just get on your nerves. You know, he's overbearing with his conspiracy theories, you know. <laughs> did they go to the moon? No, they didn't go to the moon. Was <laughs> Elvis Presley still alive? Yeah, I used to. All those people. How did John F. Kennedy get shot? Well, he had, you know, always something way out, nothing mainstream about it, you yeah. know, and you couldn't convince him. There's no reason to get in a discussion with him, you know. But yeah, she was selling that stuff left and right, and she had the rebounder out there for sale. But it was so cold and brash the way she said, oh, he's been dead for a long time. And she, you know, there
1: wasn't any sympathy or anything there. Yeah. And
0: I started to say, you know, I tried to say, well, I'm sorry to hear that, you know.
1: oh, hey, hey. There was one thing that he had given me a videotape of about the the Waco, Texas uh-huh. thing. I wasn't looking forward to watching it, but I watched it, and it seemed pretty convincing. And later on, I think it was in it, it being right. Like there was a lot of heavy handedness with the BATF and some yeah. people got in trouble. Right. So it was one thing he was kind of right on, it sounds like. But he this is the guy who also had a, a remember he had a photograph of supposedly Bill Clinton's black son. Oh and my. you could tell it was a really bad photoshop that someone had taken African features and put it on Bill Clinton. It was pretty pretty oh sad looking, but one of a kind he was, you yeah. know. Yeah. Unfortunately, our next story had its beginnings at a business that has long since been torn down. Named the United States of America, it was over on the old Boonville Highway end of Green River Road. You know, it seems like everybody's
0: life, there's incidents that happen, and some people can, they just don't think anything about it. They go on and maybe get offended, or some people get gruff and mad, but then I like to think some of our family... We turn it into a uh, a funny. I mean, probably embellish it a little bit, but it seems like we end up with a lot of funny stories that the average person would just it would just be you know a flash in the pan and they'd be over it and not think anything about it. You know, it just seems like we run into the weirdest people and the weirdest things happen. that just you wouldn't believe it. But
1: uh, how many times have you been <coughs> called a nut magnet?
0: That might have been a name I gave myself <laughs> because they uh, all seem to find you. you know, well, the church has taught you. You know, if you help somebody that's down out, you might have spent a day with Christ, you Mm -hmm. know. With that uh, mentality, you think, well, is that a a form of Jesus and how I treat him is going to be how I would treat Jesus, you know. So you met Jesus at the roller rink? You're right. We were roller skating. I think in time we realized that there was a group from the special needs people that had their sponsors. and And they had these people you could tell were needy. And they treated them like school kids. They had to line up. They had to do this all in formation, you know, that's the only way they could take care of them. But anyway, they were there skating that day, and I think one guy did keep waving at me, and I didn't know him from Adam, but uh, as we were leaving, I think, and they were in their line getting on their bus, he started waving at me again, and I went over to say something to him. He kept saying, uh, you call me, we'll go out sometime. You call me, what, sometime? And uh, I said, well, do you have a phone number? And he said, yeah. He. So he wrote down a phone number on one of his paycheck stubs, and he was working for some kind of a, a special needs, like a workshop or something. And I saw his hourly wage, and it was, it was pitiful, you know, like 57 cents or something like right. that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. But there again, you know, we were taught to be nice to people. So I thought, you know, I don't do any civic things or other than supporting our missionaries through our denomination. We don't do any real hands-on missionary type work. So I thought, well, I'll uh, see what can be done there. So I called the number and got a hold of one of the organizational ladies, and uh, I said, this guy's name was Richard. I don't remember his last name, if he had one. Well, I'm sure he had one. And I <laughs> <laughs> remember right. no, I was sincere. I was trying yeah. to be nice. Right. So I said, you know, uh, I don't know anything about what's going on here, but this guy, Richard, at the roller link, kind of picked, singled me out, waved at me and gave him his phone number. I, I said, I don't know what he's wanting for sure. And she says, well, we have a lot of patients and, you know, they like to have not a sponsor, but somebody that will take them out on activities every now and then, and, you know, we kind of encourage them. They don't have family. They don't, or their family don't do much. And so, you know, we encourage them to find somebody to kind of work them in society and all that. And I said, yeah, okay. And I, I'm sure I ask a bunch of questions. And so I said, well, you know, get back with me and tell me what how, what night or what time or something would work out. So we did. And uh, I remember going there several times, and I'd pick him up, and I think one time we did go to the roller rink. And sometimes I would take him to, uh, I think I took him to the movie one time. One time, this is kind of a side story, we went to a casino. And they would have concerts there of uh, groups, and the concerts were free. And uh, generally you had to stand around you know there i think you could reserve seats you wouldn't pay ten dollars or something like that but i think i asked him i said do you like so-and-so kind of music yeah yeah he did like i said well you want to go yeah yeah let's go so we went down there so we did a few little public things but this has nothing to do with the story but one day i was supposed to pick him up there and i was running late and uh i got there and it was a halfway house is what it was and there was this big meeting room you walk in like a big living room and most of the clients were there like watching TV or talking or playing games or whatever. And uh, so that's where I go to pick him up. And uh, usually the the house, what do you call those house ladies?
1: House mother. House
0: mother or something would go get him, tell him that I was there, you know, and he'd come down. Well, this time he wouldn't come down. He was mad because I was late. And I, I didn't understand. Of course, I don't, don't understand the... Mental. His disability? So, uh, yeah. That, uh, I don't know if it upset him so much, and he got into a mood and couldn't get out of it. But And I kept encouraging, it, and I said, well, can he get ready? I'll wait on him, you know. And she'd go up and talk to him. And he said, no, he's already in bed. He, he don't want to get out. So I guess I was a little miffed, so I thought, well, okay. So I, I didn't engage anymore. Eventually, I got feeling bad and called again. And we went out a few more times, and I remember those times when I'm sitting there in this common room, waiting on him to come down, you know, and people looking at me and at one point, I guess I was showed some interest in his personal life and, and the home and the situation, how they did it and I asked him, he says, well yeah I got a room, and or I share it with a friend or something, with Bobby Joe or whatever it was and I said, well can I, can I see your room you know, I was just curious how the system worked you know, so we went up and uh, it was a very, very small room, it had two single beds in it and you just had one little corner. I mean, I'm sure it's better than nothing, but it uh, makes you more thankful. These people, all they got is this one little thing, very meager, I think one nightstand and a couple of things to their to their own self, you know, and yeah. sharing a room with somebody else over there, griping if you're staying up too late. or got your. Yeah. The only place you can watch TV is down in the common room, and you got to watch what everybody
1: else wants to watch. You know how,
0: mm. you know, that's a side of life, but... Uh,
1: I guess it's a step up from the institution, which was, used to be the, the norm. Yeah, what did but,
0: they call those? Was it a halfway house or not a halfway house? No, uh, group homes. Group homes. Yeah, yeah. They were real popular for a while, and yeah. I don't think there's too many of them around anymore. But
1: well, when I was doing it, they were trying to get away from group home and like do more of a like two or three clients, as we used to call them, per house, as opposed yeah. to like ten, because yeah. they're trying to make it more normal.
0: That really shook me up. You know, I'd been. I can't think of all the uh, social places we did. There wasn't a whole lot we could do. But like you mentioned, I maybe just take him out for a sandwich at McDonald's. Let I me mean, ask him, what do you like to do? They may have told me some things he likes to do. Uh-huh. And I probably tried to accommodate him on that. But anyway, this one trip we went on somewhere, and we were going there. At one point, he says, uh, I don't mind being gay. And I thought, what? And I said, what would you say? He says, I don't mind being gay. I said, oh, i tell you what, it put a chill, because I thought, well, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But I finished out our evening where it was, and the next day I called the, uh, the people in charge, and I said, to, say, uh, we had an incident with Richard, and although Alec Clear Blue Sky, he says he don't mind being gay. And she said, yeah. I said, does he know what he's talking about? Oh, yes, he knows what he's talking about. And I was, I was upset. I was furious. I said, you mean you hooked me up with a guy that I'm trying to do some social work and I unknowingly don't know he's gay. I, and I'm not judging him, but I have a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. What well, if he accused me of something that I didn't do? I said, I would be in a heck of a mess. Uh-huh. Why is not someone inform me that? She says, well, the, the privacy thing, we're not allowed to do that. We can't tell what people. And, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to judge him or anything, but, you know, I think people need to know that going in there because there is some a lot of liability. Of
1: course, that was 20, 30 years ago, and it it was worse then, you know. So but, you think that when you were coming to the house and people were looking at you, they thought that you were just using him for sex? I think that, yeah. And, you know, and then that, that really, <laughs> really got me. I think, okay, I'm
0: standing out there waiting, and here's this, this guy that's obviously... Not a part of the world. I usually dressed up pretty decent and, and going to pick up this guy that didn't even get the cereal out of his beard when I picked him up. I'd have to even tell him ahead of time, say, can you clean Richard up a little bit? Oh, they weren't taking care of him real well? Well, I guess they pretty much functioned on their own, but oh, sometimes right. he didn't shave and sometimes it was a little scrunchy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they would. Along in that time once, he said something about he wished he had a radio or something. And, you know, of course, I've always got little portable radios laying around and whatnot. And so I found one that was kind of a good unit and had a tape player on all that and radio and maybe some other features, and I gave it to him. He was thankful and all that, you know. I thought, well, that's a way I can help out people like that. Later on, I asked him, I said, how's the radio doing? Oh, uh, so-and-so has it. I said, what do you mean? "Is he bought? Well, no, he wanted it, so I gave it to him. So I'm thinking, okay, somebody's taking advantage of this guy. He don't know any better. So, so I ma- found the name of the guy, and I went to his house, you know, I was pretty so upset. So th- they weren't even living in his house? No. Uh-huh. I guess it was another guy that used to be a sponsor, uh-huh. or something. This is before I know anything. Uh-huh. So I found out, somehow I found out this guy's name and address, and I go to the house, you know, because like, I, you know, I went to a lot of trouble, I think I went and bought it from Sam Weary,
1: uh-huh.
0: and, uh, got him a decent one, mm-hmm. they would have batteries and cord and do a bunch of functions, you know, so it would apply anywhere, and, uh. To hear this guy had it, and I said, well, what, did he buy from me? And I couldn't get a clear story out of it. Now that I know what I know, it kind of makes more sense. But I went there, and some lady came to the door, still in her night robe, and I said, uh, well, is so-and-so here, whatever his name was? No, he's not here. He's at work or something. I said, well, uh, do you know who Richard is? And I think she did. I said, well, he said that he has, your husband has his radio. Can you let me have that and get it back to Richard? She didn't know who was Tom Bowen. After you find out that he's gay, and you think, well, was well, this guy going for, for a good time or what? Maybe it's an open marriage, and she let him do his thing. I don't know, but you have to wonder: Did he trade that for, maybe Richard wanted to engage and wow. trading the radio for it? I don't know. Wow. But it's just part of the story when it all comes together and comes down and. That's one of, the, one of the few times in life I was really bummed out because I think, okay, I came there picking up this guy that had a rougher way in life, didn't have any means to speak of, mm-hmm. and I'm taking this guy out. And they're all staring at me thinking that I'm, you know, taking him out for my own pleasure or something like that, you know, and just, yeah. it's like everybody knew except me. <laughs> you know how, like, you know, the yeah. wife finds out her husband's cheating on her and all yeah. the friends knew about it. You know, I really felt... yeah.
1: What's the word I want to say? Betrayed? or? Well, I can tell you that there was a move to, to, to make life for handicapped people as normal as possible. They call it normalization. And when I was in it, I mean, some were, at, they were so radical that they were saying, like, if a, a guy, a handicapped guy wants a, to get a prostitute, then, you know, we got to support him. You know, that that's their right. Um, and, of course, I remember the, tell the company, me that. The company yeah. I worked at said, that's illegal. You know, we, we can't do that, you know. But there was a certain amount of things that I I found maybe immoral that I kind of had to had to respect it was their choice, but including like the sexual stuff, if they want to engage in that with somebody else's consenting, even if the other person's not handicapped, you know, there's not much you can legally do and it's technically their right. So I can see why that would be. But you have to
0: wonder if because of that program and these sponsors, if that didn't start that, if maybe the guy was never gay to start with and... Oh, and yeah. all his sponsors taken out have evil on their mind and right. changes the guy, you know. Right. Or
1: if he had been institutionalized, I mean, that stuff was pretty common. Also, the staff—if the staff had a predilection one way or the other—it was common for people to abuse them. Now, of course, they've really cracked down on that. And they have cameras and everything else. But
0: see, I was so ignorant of that kind of thing. If I'd have known that some people were using them for a legal sex toy or something, yeah, I probably wouldn't ever yeah. endeavored into that. But well, uh, something innocent make- go. That's kind of the opposite of some of the pranks we did. Some of the pranks turned out real good and funny, and then some of the other things you try and do for good, they yeah. turn out bad.
1: At least you tried. I was hungry and you fed me, and yeah. I was uh, handicapped and lonely, and you took me to the skating rink.
0: Where did you get your attention? Where did you get your attention? Where did you get your attention?
1: Okay, so. We're on Newburg Road. We're at the church that, at least I grew up in, and it was called... First Church, the Nazarene, for a while, and then eventually went to Eastview, View. Right. And as me and you have talked before in other episodes, <laughs> we've had our issues with people in church, because come to find out, people are people about everywhere you go. And uh, I remember as a kid, at least one pastor in particular was kind of mean, and uh, all the rest of them were pretty nice, I guess. But there were some other people in the church that kind of could be mean to kids. But there was one guy in particular stood out who was really, really kind. And to me as a kid seemed genuine. And uh, I always liked it when they called him to pray because it would be a bit of a comedy. He, he seemed to talk to God like it was his friend with jokes included and you know self-deprecating humor and all that. It wasn't King James
0: praying or No Testament praying, those these and the dials and all that. It's yeah. so like he's talking to his friend.
1: Right, Mr. Niehaus.
0: Well, Owen was a full time Finnish carpenter in that, you know, he did the finish work, the molding, the doors, cabinets, and things like that. And most of his clientele was higher echelon people, lawyers, professional people, I should say, lawyers, doctors. So he had a good clientele. But uh, when I knew him, he was independently employed. Or, yeah, he worked for himself. Anyway, he was not a church guy. Somehow his wife, I don't know if she was a Christian when they married or if she became a Christian later on, but she was always a Christian lady that I knew her. Uh, but Owen wasn't. He made no profession of faith. But he came to church regularly with her and supported her and all that. And when they had uh, building funds and drives and money drives, he would help to people to stretch their budget or to come up with a lump of money to help pledge the building program or what it was. You know, he supported her. He treated her very well. The church was for a long time down in the inner city, kind of like, and they decided to build out to the outer part of the city. Owen was still uh, active in his trade at that time, but he took a year off from his trade. He was a non-Christian, didn't profess to be anything to help him build that church. But one thing uh, they kind of bothersome he was a cigar smoker and he maybe did did more chewing than smoking i'm not real sure mm-hmm. but the whole time he's building that church he had a cigar in his mouth <laughs> and you know no wonder i liked him <laughs> <laughs> most of the people there they tolerated it they weren't uh most of those people there were pretty broad-minded and they weren't like i was raised you know where you know he was just they wouldn't allow that, you know. But, uh, of course, they were getting something out of it. They, I mean, he was a professional perfectionist. He knew how to handle wood, how to get it conditioned to the building, and how to match up double doors where the grains would look right. I mean, he, he knew everything. He knew how to stain and everything about that. So uh, that was a big big commitment uh, that he committed to the church to take off. And he was probably close to retirement age anyway. Maybe he was winding down. But he he... He actually took a year out of his life and donated all his time, and he did a lot of the work, and then he did a lot of the supervising the members when they could help. Uh, but he always had that cigarette. It was so unnazarene in that day, so unnazarene still on this day. And uh, he didn't try to, you uh, didn't try to hide it. That's who he was, and he didn't profess to be a Christian, so he could smoke, you know. But When there came a time once, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was a revival or he just decided or what. But he decided to to convert, you know. And so he went up to the front and prayed, you know, and everybody had to huddle around and pray like they did in those days, you know. And eventually he got up and, of course, they wanted to hear Owen say something. He'd been smoking (laughs) a cigar in their church for years. They wanted to hear him say something religious. And I'll never forget, he had no preconceived notions he wasn't trying to to follow the religious ways or anything he was just himself even when he made a profession of faith and he got up he says well folks i did what the bible says to do i've confessed all my sins and so from this day on i'm i'm a christian you know Uh and it just just as plain as that it wasn't no hooping and hollering didn't (laughs) didn't have to have tears and running his eyes you know it was very nonchalant Uh you know and it impressed me how that's really what salvation is about, basically. I mean, if you want some motion to, it, I guess that's okay. <laughs> but I think a lot of what we saw growing up led us to believe if we didn't feel like jumping off the roof of the church, that we didn't get saved. Uh-huh. But he, that was a good illustration, I thought, to, you know, he, he, he said it all. He said, I did what the Bible said. I was sorry for my sins. I've confessed and I'm not going to sin anymore. And that's when somebody jumped up and says, well, I think we ought to take Owen into the church. Make him remember right now on the spot. And, of course, you knew there was some uneasiness there. Uh, I see see the pastor squirming terribly (laughs) because back then you kind of had to prove yourself before you got into the church, you know. And they wanted to give him the time to see if he's going to quit smoking those cigars, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But Owen, there again, Owen came through. He says... Well, I, I think I better give it some time, and we'll talk about that later. Uh-huh. He got the pastor off the hook. I don't know if he knew how bad it was, but you, at least I could feel it. Like this, <laughs> there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> some lame brain. <laughs> I think we ought to make a member of the church. Maybe they should have. I don't know. But back in those days, you kind of had to prove yourself that you were flying right. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, they had to watch you for a while and see if you were committed. Not smoking behind the barn or something. You know, or <laughs> drinking. A, a beer every now and then, but uh <laughs> that's what I remember about Owen house. They never had any children of their own. Hmm. It's funny that you said he was, was he nice to the children? He great with kids, yeah. Uh, never had any. So it stuck. I mean, he, he made As far it. as I know, he was, yeah. now I, mean, I don't know whether like, he smoked or not. I, I really didn't care. I, mean, I don't he, think most of the church cared whether he smoked or not. Right.
1: You kind of wonder, like, what sins did he have? Because he acted better than most Christians, I would say. yeah is, is in, in the kindness department. We had
0: several people in that church that weren't Christians that acted better than the Christians.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: they had a softball team several years, you know, where the guys could play softball. And at the end of the year, they kind of had a little banquet or a little dinner or something, and then they'd give some awards. And uh, the guy that got the trophy for the best Christian attitude wasn't even a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And the truth of it is, they almost... The church got where it despised having that softball team, baseball team, where it was because it caused so much fights on the ball diamond. Uh-huh. I mean, it was it was, it was pathetic. It uh-huh. was embarrassing. <laughs> Even when two Nazarene churches played each other, they Poor. would beat each other up, holler and cry really? and carry on. <laughs> but the pastor, you know, he didn't know how to... It was kind of a catch-22. He probably knew if they quit the ball game, but some of those people wouldn't come anymore. I don't uh-huh. know, but... uh and he's, we still laugh about it. He even laughs about it. You know, I wasn't even a Christian. They gave me the player
1: with the best Christian attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he did. You know, yeah. he wasn't hot-headed. And, um, yeah. How did uh, Mr. House die? I
0: don't remember. I think one of them died, and it wasn't too long the other one died. I think they were that close to each other. that. Mm. But lived a very humble life. We went to their home a time or two. It was very, very, back in those days, you know, it was just very, really, I think it was really small. but. They had good finishing? Oh, yeah. Had nice cabinets and built-in uh, shelves mm-hmm. with glass doors for the dishes and things like You know, we thought was a, a luxury, you know. The big big item was, it really told you were well off, is if your phone was in a shelf built into the wall, that meant you were somebody, you know. Really? We, well, yeah. The, of course, most houses only had one phone. And to have a place built into the wall and a little shelf there, a little covey, and little place for a light and stuff and where the phone was that was that was that was extra good
1: well that's the end of our tour for now if you're still in a exploratory mood you might give a listen to past ride around episodes including our visits to nashville tennessee hopkins county kentucky In Jamaica Plains, Massachusetts. In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. (laughs) Oh, where did
0: you get your religion? Tell me now, where did you get your religion? Tell me now, where did you get your religion? Ooh.